What's up, everyone? You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam Graham Folson. I'm a therapist. Sam's a novelist. Each week, we answer one of your questions and hopefully get a few of our own answered as well. This week, our guest is Rich Dormant, editor-in-chief of Men's Health Magazine. Rich took over about two years ago, and if you haven't read Men's Health recently, there's way more coverage about mental health, mental resilience, and a more expanded view about what it means to be a healthy man today. Disclaimer here, um, my co-host Avi Klein happens to be a uh, contributor to Men's Health and has a recent piece uh, in the magazine, so check that out as well. So usually what we've been doing lately is I'm going to read the question now okay. and you can like let it percolate Okay, and uh, we can talk about it for a little bit and then we'll come back to it later. Sure. All right. Um, hey man, I'm on a group text with a bunch of old college friends and lately things have been getting pretty heated. We're all politically to the left, but there's been intense disagreement about the democratic primaries. Lately, there's a subset of the group that's been intensely vocal about their love for one candidate and have been talking a lot of shit about the other candidates. One friend seems to have gone completely off the rails and just posts memes all the time. Privately, some friends who are undecided or support someone else have been sharing how much they hate it, and I've noticed way less activity from them on the chat. I don't want this to splinter my friend group, but feel like either way I'm going to be forced to take a side. How do I keep the peace? Signed, pacifist in Prospect Heights. <laughs> You're, you might be a pacifist in Prospect Heights. <laughs> I am from Prospect Heights, uh, but I'm definitely not a a political pacifist when it comes to this stuff. Uh, yeah. Does this, uh, does this resonate? Oh, with sure. This question? I mean, I think there are many, many, many people who can relate to this and it's not just their group, you know, their friends on a group chat, it's relationships and within families and at work. I think everybody's sort of trying to figure out how to bridge this divide that seemingly has come between a lot of us. It is funny how like, I mean, we, we'll come back to it, but like politics is just something I feel like there are a lot of things that people know to politely like skirt the issue around, but people do not hold back when it comes to their political views. Yeah. And I think something that's changed about politics, particularly in the last, I'd say four to six years is that where politics used to be a sort of unifying mechanism in our society, you know, you had political parties and you had people who would come together to actually um, agree. It has become an incredibly divisive tool. Yeah. Um, even within so-called political parties, you have factions um, and disagreements and which is, which are all well and good, but it is, it is very hard to talk about politics, um, in something approaching mixed, mixed company. Yeah. yeah. I think, and I think like I was thinking about this on the way over here, we got a sneak preview of the question, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is like, why is it so touchy? And, um, even watching, uh, the, uh, debate last night, mm-hmm. um, uh, I was, I was, just trying to figure out like, you know, what is it about politics? And I think it's like that if you disagree with somebody, um, one of the easiest step next steps to take is to basically accuse the person of being stupid or right. immoral. Right. <laughs> and I think, I think like nothing makes people feel more wounded and insecure and angry than being accused of either being a bad person or being stupid. Yeah. yeah so. I, I think it, it's gone from us thinking that the other side is wrong to yeah. us thinking the other side is bad. And that's, yeah. I think it's, there's plenty of blame to go on both sides. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll try to figure out some solutions for this guy in the back half of the episode. Yeah. But uh, we wanted to start out just by talking to you. Um, for, for our listeners who haven't met you yet, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself and tell us what you do for work? Sure. My name is Rich Dorman. I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, a magazine called Men's Health. 
um, which has been around for about 32 years. And um, we are a print publication. We are a website. We are a social feed. We are a YouTube channel. Um, and basically our goal with every story and with every issue is to help our audience of roughly 50 million Americans become stronger, faster, better versions of themselves. Um, when did you take over as editor-in-chief? About two years ago now. Okay. Um, so my sort of uh, most uh, sort of frequent relationship with men's health is reading the men's health uh, big book of exercise okay. and fitness and the big book of nutrition, mm -hmm. which <laughs> both of which I look at uh, an embarrassing amount. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and, and from time to time, you know, when I'm traveling, I like to pick it up and read, you know, the latest uh, workout routines and things like that. Um, but I definitely like, I don't know if, uh, I'm just noticing this because our show is, you know, kind of about mental health or whatever, but it seems like in the past year or so there's been more content about mental health. And I'm wondering like, is that, was that an initiative that you were particularly interested in expanding the men's health brand beyond kind of just ripped abs towards, uh, a, uh, a ripped mind. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with ripped abs. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. That That is one of the initiatives that I led when I joined about two years ago. And one of the things that I wanted to do with the brand was um, to recenter it around fitness, around the, the, the words in its title. It is a magazine for men and it's a magazine for all men. Um, and it's also about health, but how are we defining health these days? And the way that I think about it and the way that the magazine has come to approach it is as a whole body, whole mind, whole life concept. So what does that mean? So you've got the three tent poles in our front of book section, which is basically the first half of the magazine. You've got the body section, which sort of speaks to what you were referring to earlier. That's working out. That's what you talk about when you go see a doctor. It's um, how you feed yourself um, and nutrition. Um, so that's the body, and that's fairly straightforward. Then there's the mind section, which is really just this idea that, um, of our goal is really to discuss mental health in the context of strength as opposed to weakness. I think that's a, a real paradigm shift for most, for most people, and especially most men. When we talked about mental health previously in prior generations, and even as recently as 10 years ago, it was always because something was wrong or because we were having a crisis. And I think just as people go to the gym to work on their muscles or just because people try to eat well so that they can feel better, I think there are lots of different things both at home and in other professional settings where people can enhance their mental health in a context of strength and self-improvement. So that's something we concentrate you know, in every issue, but also constantly online. And then there's this idea of what we just call the life section. And really, it's just recognizing the fact that to be a guy today is much different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, as far as how we work, how we partner, how we parent, um, how we drink and eat, certainly. All these decisions that we make from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed at night are much different than they used to be. And I think the market is flooded with fake news and lots of misleading information. So they, our audience looks to men's health for guidance and for information and for inspiration about how to make better choices that matter. So that that um, sort of paradigm shift you guys are trying to um, sort of bring about in the culture of, of viewing uh, mental health as a sign of strength rather than, or seeking out uh, uh, ways to improve your mental health as a sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness. Um, do you ever, have you gotten pushback from readers? Like, are there, do you ever get letters or 
the tweets from guys who are just like, I don't, I don't read my mental health to be told to go to the mm-hmm. men's health to be told to go to the shrink, man. Like, just give me the stuff that I that that I like, you know, uh, the, the the workout routines and and you know the the protein smoothies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Stop talking about mental health. Do you get any of that? No, no. I think most people recognize, and I think particularly when you point it out to people, that's why a lot of people work out to begin with because it sort of helps clear their mind. It helps them work through some things. Um, you know, people who are serious about fitness understand the neurochemical process involved, whether it's endorphins or other hormones. So, um, no, I mean, there's, there's really no pushback. What I think you see is that the culture writ large and how it is defining men and masculinity isn't really where men are. You know, I think there's a misalignment between where most guys really are in their relationship to their mental health and how society sort of defines and perceives them. Can you say more? What do you what are you noticing? Well, I mean, I think just that question, yeah. just this idea that there would be this resistance mm-hmm. um, is a natural question. And I and I understand where it's coming from. The fact that there isn't at all, um, mm. I think just goes to show that I think um, our audience in particular, which granted is is not sample size. Um, you know, they come to us because they're interested in self-improvement. So that's kind of, we have that going for us. Um, but the fact that our audience comes to us hungry for this type of guidance and this information, I think really goes to show that, you know, we're much more evolved than, you know, some people who think that we're all just, you know, terribly repressed. Mm-hmm. Um, a few months ago, you, you published a big article that kind of starts with the premise of wondering if you have uh, male friends or mm-hmm. how real your friendships are. Can you just tell us a little bit about that article and the kind of journey you went on talking to different folks and some of the conclusions you drew? Sure. Um, I think that's been a popular narrative around men today is that we don't have any friends. And it's something that you've seen repeated um, in journalism, but also in more sort of narrative um, treatments, um, this idea. And because men don't have any friends, we are suffering for it. Um, we don't have uh, intimate relationships. We don't know how to interact with anybody. We have, we're bottling up all our emotions. Um, and not only are we suffering for it, but everybody's suffering for it. Um, our partners, certainly, um, who sometimes take the blame of what's called emotional gold digging, right. um, as one writer has put it. Um, but also just us, because we don't have friendship and we don't have an, a healthy outlet, um, we're short-circuiting and we're doing all these terrible things you know, to the world. So that, to me, was a very interesting um, idea to start with. Did and you feel like that was true for you in no, your own life? No. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I felt that it was, I felt that I had different relationships mm-hmm. than say my wife mm-hmm. or in women that I noticed, but I didn't necessarily think they were better or worse. They were just different. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where I started from. And in looking a lot closer at the data and the most recent sort of statistics, um, there really isn't that much of a difference as far as the number of close people, you know, close intimate intimates that men and women have, but it's the nature of the relationship that's different. And I think there are lots of different reasons why women in particular may be forming closer bonds with other women. Um, and you know, I get into this in this piece, some of it may be biological, some of it may be social conditioning. Um, but what I ultimately came away with is that just because one mode of friendship is different than another doesn't make it less valuable or less enriching. Something else I came to the conclusion of is that men don't need more friends. Men need therapy. And, I, I like that conclusion. And, and I think, and I think what's often mistaken, particularly with female, female relationships is this therapeutic quality to it. There's a catharsis to it where there's an unburdening of one's feelings and, you know, 
I have this problem. Let me talk to you about it. Um, that's fine if that's what you're looking for in a friendship, but I don't think that should be the re- the definition of a healthy relationship, of a healthy friendship. I think if you're looking to do that to somebody, if you're looking to unload and help have that person unpack however you're feeling and what some potential solutions are, there's a great word for that type of person. And that person is professionally trained, they're typically certified, and they are therapists. Um, so I, I, I think it's we shouldn't get confused about what we're getting out of these different types of relationships. And I also don't think that because men like to play basketball or play golf with each other and because they're not bearing their innermost feelings doesn't make those relationships any less valuable than maybe two girlfriends who get together to talk about, you know, something much more intimate. What do you think about that? Cause I feel like uh, off the podcast, you and I often say to each other, like, we don't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, there's two, there's just to address that first, I think, um, you know, uh, just something happens when you're in your mid to late thirties and you have kids Mm -hmm. and then your friends start to have kids. First of all, a lot of them move to places like the suburbs where it's cheaper to live than New York city and they're farther away. And you know, your old war buddies basically are no longer around the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, for the, for the guys who are still there, who are still around, um, you know, it can feel, it can feel sometimes awkward. We've talked about this on the show before to be like, Hey, do you want to just come over to my house and, you know, have tea or something? Mm-hmm. So, and the reason why that becomes, that is an issue, I think, particularly for older guys with families, is like, I can't just really afford to um, go out and get obliterated at mm-hmm. a bar mm-hmm. on Wednesday night when I have to wake up at five thirty to take care of my one year old. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it just feels like it limits these options. And you're like, well, can I hang out with my friend if I'm not drinking with him? And also, I'm so used to doing activities, and you you get to this in your piece, activities where I'm doing something with my male friend, shoulder like, to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder. Right, mm-hmm. that's the term for it. Where you know you know, ideally it would be playing a sport or, you know, maybe working out or something with a friend, but, but, you know, even just going to a bar and like having it be the activity of watching the same game Mm -hmm. together with your, Mm -hmm. instead of looking each other in the eye, you're looking at the TV, you're looking in the same direction. So, you know, so, so that feeling of like, um, you know, just like, oh, you know, I, I feel just awkward, you know, inviting someone to my house gave me that feeling of mm-hmm. like, shit, do I even have friends anymore? Sure. Mm-hmm. Cause my wife doesn't feel awkward at all. Having a friend just come mm-hmm. over and chat without any alcohol, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that's one issue, but I think, I think you're like, reminding me before yeah, you keep, cause yeah. I owe a listener reached out and gave us a hard time about saying that men don't like to do that. And he was like, I do that all the time. So I, I wanted to give, give him props. That's true. That. We shouldn't yeah. generalize. Yeah. Um, we don't like to do that. We, or we, we have <laughs> a hard time, we have it, a hard yeah. time doing the, all this stuff is tricky. It just seems like in certain ways, there are so many more rules for guys because women, women, when the default is like, um, not all women, <laughs> my wife, for example, when the default is, if they have a, uh, if she has a friend over, they will talk about emotional stuff. It's not like if they wanted to then go work out or do an activity together, that would feel weird. Right. Sure. Whereas and for a man, it's like, it, it yeah. does feel weird to do right. that extra thing. And just to your earlier yeah. point, I mean, I actually don't think there are any rules. I think the, the, the only sort of error perhaps we 
we we make in approaching this is that there's one right way to be a friend or one right way to have a friendship. And there isn't. Yeah. There are all different kinds of things depending upon what you want to get out of it. Right, right. So, um, but you do you do conclude at the end of the piece, you know, if you really need someone to talk to, maybe you should go to therapy. And I sometimes wonder, I bet Avi would be pro this because it would make him very wealthy. Ka-ching, um, ka-ching. But, uh, but I sometimes wonder if like basically, um, you know, all men could could benefit from it like i mean everybody like, could benefit i mean everybody from therapy. i mean now i'm really speaking yeah. obvious yes. language yeah. yes um but yeah i mean and again from a receiving end you know you're uh, i mentioned in the piece like we've all had friends who get drunk and like start to cry and you're like what am i supposed to do here <laughs> yeah, yeah. like i don't i i'm not a therapist like right. i don't want to solve your problems yeah. um i think sometimes we're just barking up the wrong tree and i think particularly now when so much of the stigma not enough but so much of the stigma around therapy and, um, and seeking help has been drained, mm-hmm. you know, why not? Yeah. You know, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, look, and the other thing that I, th- I think, you know, you touched on earlier, but is important, you know, and I, tr- I do try to remind myself of this. It can, it can be a real burden to lay all of your emotional stuff on your wife because you feel like no one else wants to listen to it. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I mean, you know, I can tell. Not only is it a lot, it's uh, kind of a turnoff. It's you know a turnoff. I mean? It's the I worst. Mean, it's yeah. depressing. Like, and also, like, but the alternative is pretty bad too, absolutely. which is that, like, for too many of us, our partners get the worst of us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like, we're performative all day. Yeah. We're doing our job. We're hanging out with our friends and maybe we may feel crummy or whatever, but we're still there with our buddies and we're yeah. doing whatever. And then we get home and we can finally drop the curtain and like, we're not our best. Selves. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'm they, sure. so they take that as well. So the idea that we should be optimizing and prioritizing our mental health. Yes. is good for us. But like, let's think of the ladies <laughs> right. and our, and our kids too, yeah. you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, if you have kids. So yeah, I mean, there's really no downside. I think, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine how, uh, sexy my wife finds it when um you know i put on like a professional face and confidence all day and then i come home and i'm like let me give you my top 10 insecurities right <laughs> <Yeah>. now <laughs> let me tell you why they're like how was work it sucked yeah, like exactly. what do you want me to say you know no i mean it's uh yeah they don't deserve that right that's not right. what they're in this for i'm curious you know i oh there definitely is in me, uh, men's health like pieces around sort of mental health resilience and strength, but I've been struck by, there are some very vulnerable pieces there. Mm -hmm. And I I think we probably first like became aware of the shift um, when Jason Rogers wrote his piece and then we had him Mm -hmm. on later. And like, just remind people who Jason Jason Rogers Rogers is the fencer who openly in, in men's health discussed his very long struggle with um, erectile dysfunction and performance anxiety, which to me, when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, like that's incredibly vulnerable Mm -hmm. and brave to do. So tell me about like those editorial decisions too, to feature those kinds of stories. It's just, you know, we can't just show people on their best day. Mm -hmm. That's not realistic. And I don't think it would resonate with most people. You can't, you shouldn't do all of those. I don't, I don't think that discussing mental health solely in the context of crisis is helpful to anybody. Right. I think when you. scary. And scary. and, And also just not really relevant. Yeah. A lot of people can't relate to that. Yeah. So to do that all the time. A would be a downer. Yeah. And B, we're not really, you know, resonating with a lot of people. I think you have to have a spectrum because just as again, as we talk about nutrition or fitness or hard health or any of these other things we talk about, there are different degrees of, of severity. 
Um, and I think it's important for us to hit as many different notes as we can. Um, we should get to the uh, advice uh, segment in a second, but yeah. I'm, I'm just curious on a personal level, um, being the face of men's health, do you... Uh, and the body. And the body. <laughs> and the body. Well, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. Like, anytime you have, like, you know, a double cheeseburger, people are like, dude, you're the face, you know, are you supposed to be doing that? Aren't you supposed to only be drinking kelp smoothies? What's wrong with you? Do you feel a pressure to... Uh, you know, be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? No. Um, two two points to that. One, I like kelp smoothies, so that's <laughs> that's part of why I have the job is that I'm I'm interested and I'm engaged with this culture. But more generally, and in all seriousness, I like to think that I am an actual representative of our audience, which is to say, like, I'm not our fitness director. Like, our fitness director is a guy named Ebenezer Samuel. Follow him on Instagram. He's amazing, and he looks like a Marvel superhero. He, and really he can, does, and he can tell you anything and everything about the human body and working. And like, that's not me. You can talk to my senior editor who handles food and nutrition, Paul Keita, about all different kinds of you know diets and different approaches to nutrition, and like, and he certainly lives that life. Like, that's also not me. I'm like everybody else. I'm the surrogate, the primary surrogate for the audience in that I'm doing the best that I can. Mm -hmm. I try to eat well. I try to work out when I can. I try to have a good work-life balance. I try not to look like a slob. I try to be nice to people. I'm trying. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's a real benefit in my job because I don't take anything for granted. I think when you're only listening to the experts, I think there's a sense of, um, well, you should know that already. Um, or a sense of... Um, you, you have to be doing something. Whereas I think I come at it, again, as a surrogate for the audience, where I'm, just, I'm saying, you know, like, what's the information and how can I use it? And how can you inspire me to do it? That's really, like, my end goal as, as a surrogate. So, yeah, like, I, I eat, I try to eat well, but, like, not all the time. Have I you, like, picked up some good workout tips since you've started? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I work with the smartest, brightest people in and it's sort of across the board um, on all the different things that we cover. And I learn something new every single day. And some of it's workout related. Some of it's hard health. Some of it's mental health. Um, I try to apply as much of it as I can. But like I'm married to a very busy woman. I have three small children. I've got a mortgage mm -hmm. and car payments and the whole midlife nightmare. <laughs> and like I'm just doing the best that I can. And I think that's a lot closer to most of my audience yeah. than a guy who works like not that, not that Ebb works out 12 hours a day, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, one other, just a slightly self-serving question. My wife is an editor um, and uh, not in chief, but pretty high up there. And um, I see how insane her hours are. How do you achieve some kind of balance when there's always 10 million things on your to-do list for work and you have three kids? What, yeah. what are your tricks for that? Um, it's really hard. And I think first you kind of have to go easy on yourself. Um, I, I try to give myself permission to make mistakes. And sometimes I'm not doing, the, I'm not being the best parent that I can be. And sometimes I'm not being the best worker that I can be because of these tensions in my life. And, and that's okay. Like, mm -hmm. I think we have to like, I can't beat myself up all the time. That said, I do, when it, wherever I am, I try to be present and I try to not be doing the other thing. So when I'm at work, I try to be at work. And when I'm with my kids, I try to be with my kids and put my phone away. Um, you know, like a lot of people in, you know, with, you know, in dual house, dual income households or just people in general, I, um, because of technology, I'm able to get home at a decent hour 
and still sort of keep an eye on things and then get back online when my kids go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's not the healthiest way to do it, but like typically I'm, I'm sort of offline between like six and eight and then it's all sort of all full steam ahead from like eight to 11. This leads to one more obligatory question that I always end up asking everyone, which is, do you meditate? Because that idea of being present, no matter what you're doing, you sound like maybe you're a meditator. I am a meditator. Okay, I figured. Um, yeah. We're going to do a hey man, meditate. Sam talks about meditation drinking game. That's yeah. my, favorite, my favorite topic. I, um, I meditate every morning um, for about 15 minutes. And it's not, it's not like transcendent. It's not like real meditation. Like I don't like have a mantra or anything. Um, but it's, it's breathing. It's, I repeat things. Um, I'll sort of try to visualize my day and I will anticipate how some things might make me feel, um, whether that's anxious or unhappy or frustrated. And I'll try to get out in front of that. Um, and cause usually that happens. I'm pretty, I kind of know myself at this point and I know how I'm going to anticipate certain things. And that really helps when the actual moment comes. Cause either you're relieved that like, oh wow, that thing I thought terrible thing I was dreading didn't happen or you're totally prepared and like, you're not really caught off guard. Mm. Um, that doesn't sound like meditation, but to me it is incredibly calming and centric and grounding, which is effectively. And this sounds like, think of. sounds like meditation to me. I wanted to go back just something when you asked the question about, um, balance and I was just wondering, like, I, I actually, I am not so hard on myself about not being a good father. Although I, I could probably stand to, <laughs> maybe, maybe give myself some more scrutiny. Right. And I was just wondering, like, how, like, I don't know. I was curious, like, how do you, do you, do you, are you hard on yourself about that? Like, I'm much harder on myself about like whether I'm sort of being lazy uh, about work. Uh -huh. I, I feel like, I feel like I'm actually much more forgiving about fatherhood. And I think the reason why is because. There's just, it, it's the most impossible job. <laughs> and and I, it's just like, there's so many opportunities yeah. to do the right thing and a million opportunities to, to do the wrong thing. And yeah. of course, it's just like, it just seems to me like um, being, a, being a perfect dad would truly be uh, impossible and drive you crazy if you were. So I don't know, for me, I'm, I'm able to be forgiving about it. I Although like I guess when I stop and think now, now that we're <laughs> thinking about it, I'm like, shit, maybe I need to feel more guilty. Well, about I noticed that my, my wife is definitely, she's, she is much harder on herself about it. About my wife is harder on herself. But a lot of time that's internalized societal pressure. Yeah. Right? They feel yeah. like they're being um, more stringently judged. Whereas guys get a pass. I think thankfully that's becoming less and less the case. I think, you know, it's true though. I don't, I don't think like guys can go out and play golf for six hours anymore. Like that's like child neglect. Yeah. Um, that's just not how most modern relationships work. So I think guys are increasingly and thankfully much more on the hook as far as like literally getting their hands dirty every, every minute of every day. Yeah. We, have, we haven't mentioned it, but my son is here. I know. I was, gonna, I was <laughs> I, very pleased that yeah, you brought your son my, with My nine-year-old son is waiting, um, <laughs> reading. Um, he's with me today. Um, he wanted to come and see me with work. He's on vacation this week. Uh -huh. My wife's at work. So yeah, he's here. That's yeah. cool. If I brought my son, he's three. This oh, entire... No, forget it. I have a, I have a three year old and she's <laughs> yeah. not here. Explicitly not invited. Yeah. I have yeah. an 18 month old and she's a terrorist. Yes. So. Yeah. Yes. But I think, uh, I don't know, just in terms of general, um, advice, uh, the, the not beating up on yourself advice always strikes me as like the wisest 
maybe of any type of advice. And it, it's just, it, it is something that like, um, definitely after having kids, I had to, uh, to learn how to do less beating up on myself. And, you know, it's to, to me, that's like the game of life of figuring yeah. out how to not beat up on yourself and forgive <laughs> I mean, yourself. When people you hate mistakes. on self-care as a term and as a yeah. term of art and term of practice. And I half agree with them, but at the essence of what we all make fun of is this, this idea of like having to take care of yourself and as being as nice to yourself as you are to other people Mm -hmm. and as forgiving of yourself as you are as other people. And that's a really hard place to get to, particularly if you're a a, a driven type of person or if you know, you're an anxious or depressed person, because those are certainly difficulties. Um, but as I, I say it like five times a day, like self-care is real, like, Mm -hmm. and you have to pay attention to it. You really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the fear that if you, uh, if you start, um, forgiving yourself, then you're going to lose your edge. And of course it's never true. And Um, that, that gets back to this idea of mental health as in the context of strength, mm -hmm. right? Like you're not doing self-care because you're weak. You're doing it because you're strong. Right. And you know, it's like, you don't go to the gym, like those guys who are like doing massive rips in the gym, like they're not doing that because they're weak. They're doing that because they're strong. It's the same thing with mental health. So let's let's um, get mentally unhealthy by talking about politics. Uh, first, actually, Avi, why don't you just um, uh, tell people about the piece that yeah, you recently well, so- wrote for Men's Health? Avi Avi is an occasional contributor to Men's Health, also. And um, full disclosure, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you recently wrote a piece, right? Well, so um, the January February issue mm-hmm. had um, there's a, a package or a focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, on how to sort of survive the political season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we had this question and felt like it would be a good fit for yeah. this very topic. Um, and what I wrote about was just about our stress, the stress response that we have when we start to engage with politics and the helplessness that we feel when we can't really do anything and the way that drives us to just circle back to that 24 seven news cycle. And for people, people, you guys should read Rich's piece and Avi's piece on menshealth.com. For but, sure. We'll put the um, links up. But for people who haven't, uh, aren't experts on this, can you just tell people like, what does stress actually physically, what are the physical risks of stress? Cause I feel like people don't quite understand or even believe that stress is actually physically bad for you. Right. Well, we have a, the, like it is called the human stress response. Right. And, um, stress hormones like cortisol and and adrenaline get released when we're in a stressful situation. Sometimes they are actually stressful, you know, like someone is trying to attack you and sometimes it's just our perception telling us that it's stressful. And over time, although those, those hormones are released to help you, you know, like adrenaline helps, makes you stronger, right? People do amazing things um, in a crisis because of adrenaline. But over time, if your body keeps uh, producing those hormones, um, the effects on, I mean, it is related to heart disease and diabetes. I mean, it, it will end your life earlier if you live a lot of a life filled with stress. So this is literally a life or death issue. <laughs> you need to chill the it's fuck out. Important. All yeah. right. So let's read the okay. question again. Yeah. Hey man, I'm on a group text with a bunch of old college friends and lately things have been getting pretty heated. We're all politically to the left, but there's been intense disagreement about the democratic primaries. Lately, there's a subset of the group that's been intensely vocal about their love for one candidate and have been talking a lot of shit about the other candidates. One friend seems to have gone completely off the rails and just posts memes all the time. Privately, some friends who are undecided or support someone else have been sharing how much they hate it, and I've noticed way less activity from them on the chat. I don't want this to splinter my friend group, but feel like either way, I'm going to be forced to take a side. 
How do I keep the peace? Signed, Pacifist in Prospect Heights. So there's there's the politics piece, and then there's just like negotiating like group dynamics yeah. piece, which is the other important component here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and this guy is particularly asking for advice on... Uh, how he can how he can be the peacekeeper mm-hmm. he's not doing the vitriolic thing um i almost feel like it'd be easier for me to give him advice on how to be less of an asshole or something yeah like because i mean i i definitely um i learned my lesson but i was kind of that guy on the group chat last uh, election cycle in like 2016 and like going super hard for my candidate and then just like dumping on the other guys who were supporting the other candidate in a way where like it started out just as playful trash talk, but it definitely went too far. Do you have any firsthand experience with this? No, because I don't talk politics, ah. <laughs> particularly on text messages. I think, I think to your point earlier, there, there are a couple of things going on yeah. here, both politics and group dynamics, but there's also a technological aspect yeah. to it and what's appropriate via text message and what is best left in real life. I think one of the, the downsides, certainly, of digital technology is that it gives people license to act out in a way for which they do not um, feel responsible or they do not, um, mm-hmm. they don't have to sort of pay the price of saying something to yeah. someone's face right. or having to sort of sit in that lingering awkwardness that comes after you insult someone to their face. So I think there's that element mm-hmm. too. So um, I think with a question like this, you kind of have to take a multi-pronged approach to it. I think the one guy who's really stirring up shit, I think like they have to call him. This person has to call that guy yeah, and say, tell him on the phone, like, look, like, I don't want to get too serious here, but like, I really don't, it makes me really uncomfortable. It's making everybody really uncomfortable. I know you feel strongly about it, but like, maybe just consider easing off the gas a little bit. And then if he wants to, I would, I mean, it's, I'm assuming it's a him, maybe it's not. Um, um, in the sort of context of the, the group chat, just being like, hey guys, like, can we not talk about this here? Like, mm-hmm. I thought this was for like ball busting and having fun. Like, yeah. when did this become a Reddit forum for political views? Um, I think if you recognize the problem and elevate it and isolate it, I think hopefully you can excise it. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise it's just going to be there. And again, I I, whiz, I I really doubt the wisdom of a group text chain about <laughs> contemporary politics. <laughs> like in any form, like with, like you could with be, anyone? if it's all Bernie bros, it's fine. Like there's still going to be a fight that's going to break out. Totally. And it's, I just don't think it's a good idea. I, I have to say, I mean, my stomach clenched a bit imagining being the person who's like, can we not do this? Because like, I don't know, that would personally be hard for me, but I should probably, uh, uh, toughen up a bit. Uh, I, I feel like it's also pretty courageous to um, to take that stance on behalf of everyone. Like everyone will thank you later. But I also want to recognize how uncomfortable it would be to probably be the guy to s- speak up and like say like I don't want this to keep going yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, again, it's also I think most um, group texts now have like a unsubscribe basically like you can leave the conversation <laughs> yeah you can say like guys like this is making me uncomfortable it's me it's stressing me out yeah i come here to talk to you guys and keep in touch and have fun and like this is not any of those things yeah so i'm gonna leave yeah and maybe i'll talk to you know talk to you in 2020 no or like i'll, I'll text each of you <laughs> yeah. individually we yeah, can get yeah. a new thing going yeah, but yeah. like this is not 
yeah, yeah. a fun party. This yeah. is not what I want to be a part of. Because yeah. again, if it's stressing him out and fraying his relationships, then like, why stay in it? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Is there a way to, maybe not on group text, but let, let's imagine they could move this over to a slightly less trolly platform like email. Is there a way to, for a group of guys who are friends to discuss politics civilly, or you think it's just a non-starter? I think you can barely discuss politics in person civilly. But when did, so I'm 40. When I was growing up, like you just didn't talk politics Mm -hmm. outside of like your closest relationships. It just was, or if you were like a professional who was out there, but like, when did this, when did we feel comfortable talking about these things in sort of casual social relationships? Um, you know, these are things that people believe deeply and they believe deeply in their, their sort of righteousness. And, um, I, I don't know why we think it's a good idea to just sort of put it all out there and expect everyone to either agree with us or worse, disagree with us. It just doesn't seem like a very good idea to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking the counter argument, like the person who would say we should talk about it, what would they say? They, I mean, I think they would say it's immoral to let people make these decisions and not try to change, change minds. Is that, is that, am I or, representing or just, that? Or maybe that's a, I mean, you know, I'm trying to think back to my frame of mind in 2016, not more just like, you know, we live in a democracy and, uh, let's have it out. Yeah. Let's just like, let's, let's like have a debate about this and <laughs> see, see if anyone can be persuaded to come along to this other side, you know, mm. and then it just got out of control and got way too like, heated. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're not Lincoln and respectfully, they're not Douglas. Like that's not what's happening here. Um, particularly over a lot of the forms that, this, that these are happening, whether yeah. it's cable news or Twitter or, um, texts. So I, I think no good can come of it. And like fun fact about men's health is with the exception of this package, we have a blanket rule that we do not cover politics mm-hmm. because we try to be a unifying place mm-hmm. where people see the best of themselves and where they see their commonalities with other people, um, where politics as it is practiced and perceived today is an inherently divisive field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether you're talking about a presidential election or something much more local and personal, um, it can divide us into us and them very quickly. And that for me is just not what, you know, I want to be about. I mean, I think what's indisputable is that politics are, uh, frequently bad for your mental health. They also do seem, you know, what it, under, it's totally understandable that, you know, men's health isn't, isn't a, a forum for discussing mm-hmm. these things. There are other, there are places in, where it is, appropriate of course Um, i mean but but it's still yeah it's still even where it is appropriate it's like it's still taxing on your mental health unless you are you know basically just with people who one billion percent agree with you but now even yeah whether you're republican or democrat like the fights within both parties are have become so intense that like even that is like you know a powder keg so i don't know but I, i it just seems like one of these things where it's like it's it's very bad for your mental health Mm -hmm. uh, or it's very risky for your mental health to get engaged in it. And it still can be an important thing to do. And, you know, how do we, how do we make the best of a, of a tough thing to discuss? You You know, know, I was, uh, I was seeing someone earlier today and he was getting really anxious because we were getting into like difficult territory. And I said, 
you know, I want you to be uncomfortable. I just don't want you to be too uncomfortable. Um, because you do, you do have to be, it's okay to be stressed and it's okay to be Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. You really don't grow unless you're in that sweet spot, you know? Um, but probably just like wandering into a political discussion, like you're unprepared for what you're about to take on. If you, if you really like, what's your intention here? You know, if you want to learn, if you want to really engage with the issue, you sort of have to be able to slow your heart down when it starts mm-hmm. to get elevated. And if you're, if it's just day to day and it's just coming at you from every angle, like there's no way you can engage with that thoughtfully or meaningfully. Yeah. So what's really going on? And I don't think the answer is disengagement, yeah. certainly on a personal level. And one of the things that we get into in our piece, which I, I think is a really interesting analogy, um, we liken our media and news consumption today to um, food and mm-hmm. nutrition. So like for millennia, human beings were basically like one bad day away from starving, right? Like they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. So they would hoard food. Whenever they could get it, they would eat as much of it as they could because they didn't know when their next meal was coming from. That was true, you know, by and large, generally speaking, and, you know, within the last hundred years or so, as food has become more plentiful and less expensive, um, you know, it's become, it's gone everywhere. And what's happened is that people don't know how to eat. And so we have an obesity dep- epidemic. We have a spike in diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this sense of people not knowing how to consume food properly. And I think the same thing has happened much more recently and much more intensely with information. So for millennia, human beings would hoard information because they didn't know when their next, mm-hmm. the next century or the next you know, homing pigeon was coming with news. Um, until the last 20 years, information was much more scarce. And now there is so much information. It is everywhere and it is free. And we don't know how to consume it responsibly. So we basically have some sort of like, whether it's obesity or diabetes or or some sort of condition of the mind where we're not processing it correctly. And because of that, we have mental illness and we have physical illness as Mm. a result of that. So through this piece, we go how we, we using this sort of um, example of nutrition, we talk about how you can consume information more responsibly, um, both for yourself and others. And it's, it's a really important that we, that we have a much more rigorous diet when it comes to the information that we're consuming. I mean, the one counterpoint, this is not specifically politics, but like politics adjacent, I guess, like in a therapy group that I'm in right now, there's been like a very kind of, sort of heated discussion about race mm-hmm. in therapy because therapy is like a really white institution mm-hmm. you know um it's like on it's both more, sides of the couch yeah. and so people were starting to want to change that mm-hmm. you know and but some people did not want to have that conversation and therapists did not want to like examine their white privilege or didn't feel like this was the space to do it and and i could i understand i understand the discomfort certainly and i i was more sympathetic to the argument of like if you if you just say you don't want to do it that's just another kind of privilege, you know, where you're just ignoring something. And so I'm not sure, I'm not sure how you draw the line between when is it important and when, like when, when should something, when should a conversation be forced? I don't know if forcing something is ever really productive, but like, when should you take that stand versus something like sending uh, Bernie memes? Any, any any other thoughts on how to help that? I feel like, I mean, I think Rich Rich nailed it pretty early on, to be honest. Just call. I (laughs) I agree. Picking up the phone and calling the guy is uh, is a good way to do it. Yeah. The only thing I would ask, though, um, before we wrap up on this, is like, it's always easier said than done. When because because often we have questions like this, and we try to give advice of like, 
just be direct, call the guy, like, you know, say what you really, you know, mean. Um, but I find that it's, the hard part is the nitty gritty of like, how do you actually have that conversation? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So I wonder like, you know, I, I, how would you do it? If you picked up the phone and called him, what would your approach be? Would it be like really tough love and direct and be like, you got to cut this shit out? Would it be like, would you try to like, you know, loosen him up by complimenting one of his memes first? How do you deal with a guy like this? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just honest. Yeah. I mean, this person's supposedly your friend. You've putatively known him for some time. Um, be direct. Be honest. You don't have to be like weeping about it. And you, mm -hmm. you can just be like, look, like it's making everybody uncomfortable. Yeah. The fact that you don't know that is maybe part of the problem. And that's a separate problem. But like just for now, can you stop? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, easier for me to say um, in, you know, removed from the situation. But I always find it easier as a motivation to consider the alternative. Like, yes, no one wants to have this conversation, but what's the alternative? He keeps posting this terrible stuff that's making everybody uncomfortable. You hope that he stops <laughs> and like you just bury it and you're like, oh, fuck, burn it. Not burning. Like, <laughs> Probably it's burning. Well, like, no, but like, oh, he's texting again. Like every time, like you, so you have a pit in your stomach? Like yeah. what's the alternative? Yeah. So... And that's true, I think, of most difficult conversations in life, whether you're whether it's at work or in personal relationships or um, romances or whatever. Like, the bad decision can seem a lot better when you consider the alternatives. It's funny because I mean, it, of course, it would also be helping this friend because because it, he doesn't know he doesn't yeah. know, and I'm sure you guys have at least one person in your feed like this, um, <laughs> but like. Particularly on I've Facebook, I think is, is, is the worst. Like yeah. there's like three or four people from my, my past who just seem completely not self-aware about yeah. the, the amount of ranting they, they do and self-serving kind of ego stroking that they do on, on social media. And I always feel like, man, like when is someone going to do the favor of just calling this person up and be like, man, you're like kind of embarrassing yourself out there. You got to like limit it you know, but no one does it. And it's like, yeah. and then they just continue to embarrass themselves. Well, so you, make you can think of it point. as a favor to this yeah, guy. And, and an exceptional thing to do if nobody does it, you could be, I mean, it's you're really. Safe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're doing this guy a major solid, yeah. I think. And again, this is a sort of cousin to your um, aside about race. But like, if we learn nothing from me too, over the last two to three years, it's that it's amazing how much guys don't realize they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think whether it's implicit bias or just letting their enthusiasms get the better of them and not really being self-aware, it really helps when you can point something out and be like, actually, like, this is actually how the rest of us perceiving it. Right. Do with that information what you will. Right. But just so you know, yeah. this is what the rest of us think about it. That's incredibly valuable information. And for me, that's a, a true solid yeah. between friends. Also, look, if this guy does in good faith care about his candidate, uh, then you're doing him a favor because you're helping him help his candidate. Yeah. <laughs> right now he's turning people off. Yes. You know? So, so anyway, yeah. um, so we, 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 um, wrap up the show by asking, uh, every guest to share, uh, a piece of advice that they've heard at one point in their life could be from a person. It could be something you read that has stuck with you and that you come back to, um, so we're wondering what that and is. And it can be you. about anything? Yes. Anything that matters to you. Could be something your dad said. Could be something Socrates said. 
I don't know who ever said it to me, but it was something that um, sort of changed the trajectory of my life, or at least my career. Um, it was this idea that um, work has to be its own reward. That mm-hmm. you, you can't do your job and you can't um, pursue a career if your goal is money or if your goal is a job title or if it's um, something other than finding a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment in the work itself. And once I came to realize that and understand it, my priorities became much clearer, um, my direction became much clearer, and um, sort of all sorts of doors opened up for me in a way that maybe they would have anyway. But I always felt like when I was always um, so anxious and frustrated about what I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't thankful for the work itself. Um, it's just kind of no way to live. How old were you when you figured that out? I was out? 29. Mm-hmm. It's pretty and young I, to figure that out, I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I do kind of think I figured it out on my own, but it's, um, it has saved me more times than I know, um, particularly when you look on Instagram and you see everybody's life around you and you're like, you know thinking about all these life choices that you made (laughs) and ultimately like the work has to be its own reward. And if it's not find work that is, I was just talking to my wife about this like a couple days ago that, um, truly all of the most successful people that I know, um, are the ones who are just most present and deeply invested in the quality of their work. Yeah as opposed to the external reward of being mm-hmm. famous or successful yeah. or well And that's paid. not to say happy. Um, I find no, happiness that's just true. this very incredi- elusive. This, yeah, <laughs> and this very inc- this incredible sort of mental burden that I think a lot of us are trying to get away from. Um, everyone has really hard days and everyone there are times when everybody hates their job. Um, it's the work. Mm-hmm. It's what you're actually doing and what you're putting um, your time and energy and love and labor into. Um, and when you can find something like that and, and sort of find that groove where it is actually rewarding, um, it just, it changes everything. So people can obviously find your work at menshealth.com, um, and on the newsstands, but what about social media? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm at, I'm at Rich Dormant, D-O-R-M-E-N-T. Um, and you know, you can also follow Men's Health. Cool. <laughs> Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you guys. All right, that's it for our show this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have a question that you want some advice on, please email us at heymanpod at gmail.com or better yet, give us a call, 917-426-4326 and leave us a voicemail. All questions, if they make it on the show, are anonymous. No need to worry. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at heymanpod. And if you have a moment, give us a review, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And better yet, subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Peace.